Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.40 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 29th and very last day of February 2024. This is episode 864 of Bitcoin. And if you need to go stay somewhere really cool, uh, Cabanas Namada down in Brazil. In fact, you can escape to a magical hobbit hut. That's right, a hobbit hut nestled in the lush landscapes of Moeda. Brazil. Immerse yourself in the enchanting getaway where fantasy meets comfort for a mere $174 a night. Perfect for adventurers seeking a unique stay, this cozy cabin promises an unforgettable experience. Book your journey to Middle Earth today and let the adventure begin. Your story awaits at the Hobbit Hut. Be sure to tell them that you heard about it here on the Bitcoin and podcast. And if for the guys that are in the, uh, Live chat like Kid Warp, my good friend over here. Good morning, stay sovereign to you as well, Kid Warp. Here's a picture of what we're talking about. <clears throat> this is the Hobbit Hut, and it looks like a Hobbit Hut. It's not built into a hillside. It is a standalone structure, but it's got the charm. It's got a pool. It's in Brazil. I mean, what the hell else do you want for 174 bucks a night? I mean, my God almighty, dude, this thing has got all kinds of neat looking stuff. It's even got a round door painted green, just like the Hobbit. That's right. It's just, it's a magical place. No, seriously, if you guys are going to go down to Brazil and want to stay in a really cool place, then you got to go check out my friend <clears throat> DeFi Yogi. Uh, his uh, information, his Noster Inpub and his Twitter handle. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on for a second. Let me let me get that. I I just I threw I threw that away. Uh no, actually he's not on Twitter or at least not that I have in my information here. Uh DeFi Yogi his inpub for Noster so that you can get a hold of him and rent this thing out will be in the show notes. And please make sure that you mention that you heard it here in the Circle P on the Bitcoin and podcast. All right, news, El Salvador. The Bitcoin bet for El Salvador is up a full 40%. 40%. But President Bukele says that he isn't selling. Andrew Thorvalis decrypt. El Salvador President Nayib Bukele took to Twitter on Wednesday with a rebuke for doubters who had criticized his nation's embrace of Bitcoin, claiming that his country would have made a 40% profit if they sold the cryptocurrency today, we won't sell, of course, he wrote. His defiant tweet comes as Bitcoin came within 12% of its all-time high on Monday, seeing a nearly 10% increase in 24 hours. Bukele's Bitcoin profit, well, his profit brag, apparently, appears to be corroborated by the naive Bukele portfolio tracker, an online tool tracking El Salvador's Bitcoin holdings and cost basis based on Bukele's public announcements of its BTC purchases. El Salvador is believed to be holding 2,848 Bitcoin worth $173 million at today's prices. And here's a tweet says, when Bitcoin's market price was low, they wrote literally thousands of articles about how our, about our supposed losses. Now that Bitcoin's market price is way up, if we were to sell, we would make a profit of over 40% just from the market purchases. And our main source of BTC is now our, oh, good Lord, I'm not going to be able to do it on this one. Hold on. Yeah, it's not going to let me do it. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, I, I didn't have it in the right browser. Uh, Twitter does not allow me to log in through my Brave browser for various reasons. Um, probably because it's, I don't know, there's something about it that is just freaking out. In either event, Naib Bukele, he's just not going to sell. 
Though the tracker overstated the nation's profits in December, in December, it has since been corrected, and Bitcoin's prices, meanwhile, shot much higher. Quote, when Bitcoin's market price was low, yeah, we already read that, dude. I, that's not me. That's actually double typed in the story. Quote, it's very telling that the authors of those hit pieces, the analysts, the experts, the journalists, they're totally silent now, Bukele wrote. Remember this the next time they spill lies again about El Salvador, he continued on. While largely aiming his ire at the media, Bukele has also faced pushback from the International Monetary Fund, which has warned that adopting Bitcoin as legal tender could destabilize the nation's economy. Even with Bitcoin's volatility, the Bukele administration has not repealed the law, nor sold its BTC, even committing to buying one BTC per day right after FTX collapsed. Despite the nation's sizable profits, Bukele said that the nation has no intention of selling. Quote, one BTC equals one BTC, he wrote. Quote, this was true then, or when the market price was low, and it's still true now. End quote. Bukele was re-elected as El Salvador's leader with overwhelming support earlier this month, securing another five-year term with 85% of the vote. Though the leader's Bitcoin law was met with confusion and criticism by citizens at the time that it took effect, He's also grown highly popular for cracking down on local gang violence, helping reduce the nation's murder rate by 90%. Good Lord. Much like Bukele, MicroStrategy owner Michael Saylor called out critics of his company's Bitcoin strategy earlier this month. According to Saylor Tracker, the firm has now almost, you know, doubled its money. So Bukele not selling. And, um... I do find it I do find it odd that the majority of the media critics are basically silent on El Salvador except for our good friend Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff had a I don't know a, a backhanded comment that was in reply to some Twitter thread at one point or another and he said something like yeah well let's see if you actually retain the profits you can only do that if you sell. I want to tell you a story about a good friend of mine. I mean, literally, one of my very best friends. I don't really talk to him anymore. It's not about because of the Bitcoin thing that's coming up. It's about something else. Um, he just got, got a little weird. But this is a guy who made quite a bit of money in the private sector, doing his own thing with his brother, and which is great. And I'm, I'm really proud of him for, you know, for accomplishing what he accomplished in the private sector. It's, it's hard to be an entrepreneur. But be that as it may, while he was, you know, banking, you know, a, a serious amount of cash, I was sitting on Bitcoin and he had known that I'd had it four years, you know, by the time that this, this happened about, the, about four years ago, five years ago, this whole story. And he was telling me how stupid I was that I wasn't selling it. And Bitcoin was sitting at eight. Uh, actually, I think it was sitting at, it was either sitting at 8,000 or it was sitting at 18,000. I cannot exactly remember when, but the point is, he's saying, why don't you sell it? And I told him, I said, well, look, I, I don't understand why you're not doing the math. And I wasn't talking about anything about the monetary policy of the United States. I wasn't talking about that. I was just talking about straight up math. I told him how much it cost me to buy what I had at that point, my principal investment, right? I had already sold enough Bitcoin at that time that he was talking to me to cover my entire principal that I had, you know, had put into Bitcoin in the first place. I mean, it wasn't costing me, you know, that much back in 2015, 2016. But still... It was almost as if that statement fell on, on deaf ears. And I, I still to this day don't understand it. At this point, I am literally and have been, well, no, because I, I always DCA, you know, like every week. But minus that, my, the majority stake that I have invested in Bitcoin far exceeds anything else that I have. And it's all, quote unquote, casi the casino's money. I've, I, I'm not, I don't have any of my principal other than my DCAs, which I'm not including in this discussion. At that time, I had actually stopped DCAing because I was an idiot. 
So by the time that I was actually having these discussions with him five years ago, I wasn't DCAing. I was just sitting on what I already had. And I had already sold just enough simply to recover principal, which I also should not have done. But that's okay. I'm not, I'm not going to beat myself up because of that stupid shit. I'm just saying that even after all that, he did not understand what I was doing. Now, if I had listened to him, I would have sold it somewhere between eight <clears throat> and $18,000. Let's split the difference. We'll call it $12,000. I would have sold, if I had taken his advice, I would have sold. If I had sold on that day and taken his advice, the amount of sheer sadness and guilt and the amount of stupidity that I would feel about my actions would be crushing, absolutely crushing today. And I had to defy somebody that I highly respected, that I'd known for years and years. I mean, I knew that I've known the guy since high school. You know, by this time, I'd known him like 20 years. I mean, how this is the kind of peer pressure that all of us experience all the time. I just wanted to let you know that nobody, nobody is outside of the realm of peer pressure. And we're getting into that cycle again. Although I am seeing a giant red dildo on the charts right now. But be that as it may, it was just, what, a few weeks ago we were at 32? I I don't know what I don't know what to say. I don't know how to tell the people that I love and trust and respect that they're wrong. So what I've done is that I, I no longer really talk about it anymore. I talk about it to my sister, you know, and to my wife and to my kids. But as far as everybody else is concerned, I don't talk about it. I just don't. It's easier to get along that way. Now, moving on. Um, The United States Marshal Service is in possession of quite a bit of Bitcoin. And the United States Marshal Service uh, is part of, as you know, well, unless you're from another country, part of the United States federal government. So just keep that in mind. When I read the following, we're talking about the United States Marshal Service. But Zoltan Vardai has this from Cointelegraph. United States government moved. Not sold, not bought, just moved $922 million of seized Bitcoin after BTC price broke $60,000. The United States government transferred $922 million worth of Bitcoin from two cryptocurrency wallets that held funds seized from the Bitfinex hack in 2016. The U.S. government's transfer occurred the same day that Bitcoin breached $60,000 for the first time in over two years on February the 28th. Bitcoin rose 5.52% in the 24 hours leading up to 9.45 p.m. UTC to trade at 20 or 62,507. The first test transfer worth only one Bitcoin occurred at 3.39 p.m. yesterday, February the 28th. Shortly after, the U.S. government labeled wallet sent a second transaction worth 2,817 Bitcoin and a third transaction worth 0.01 Bitcoin and a fourth transaction worth 12,267 Bitcoin, according to Arkham Intelligence data. The government seized the funds in 2016 after Bitfinex was hacked for approximately 120,000 BTC worth over $7.4 billion at its current price. The transfers occurred a day after Ilya Liechtenstein, a hacker who stole and laundered over $4.5 billion worth of Bitcoin from the Bitfinex exchange, appeared in a Washington court detailing how he pulled off the world's largest Bitcoin heists. Liechtenstein reportedly told a jury on February the 27th that he had access to Bitfinex's systems for several months while also hacking individual accounts at other exchanges like Coinbase and Kraken, according to a Bloomberg report. Liechtenstein and his rapper wife, Heather Morgan, also known as RazzleCon, were arrested in February 2022, and at the time, the U.S. government alleged that they conspired to launder $4.5 billion in hacked Bitcoin of which the government seized $3.6 billion in the largest financial seizure in history. 
the government seized an additional $474 million worth of Bitcoin on August the 3rd, 2022. Lichtenstein and his wife pleaded guilty to money laundering conspiracy in connection with the Bitfinex hack. In August of 2023, Amazon has a reportedly started making a movie on the Bitfinex money launderers. The script will reportedly be inspired by a 2022 article on the couple in the New York Times branding them as Bitcoin's Bonnie and Clyde. And if you believe that Liechtenstein and his Razzlecon wife had anything to do with the physical hacking of the Bitcoin from Bitfinex, I got bridges all over the world to sell you, most of them in the Gobi Desert. There is no way, given the background of Liechtenstein and his Razzlecon wife, to be able to hack something like Bitfinex. Something is very wrong with that, and it always has been. There's something, and I mean, it, it's not, I'm not just learning about this hack, right? I've known about this hack, I've read articles about these guys. I know what I'm talking about. Neither one has the background to be able to do what is said has been done with Bitfinex. They did not hack that. Somehow they ended up in possession of the Bitcoin, but they did not actually hack that thing. Now, that's what they're on trial for, but there's no way that they could have pulled that off. I'm sorry. This is Bitfinex. They're not, they're not sloppy in their security to the point that somebody with the backgrounds of Razzlecon and her boyfriend Lichtenstein would have been able to pull this off. Something else is going on. But that's kind of aside the point. When the U.S. Marshal Service, who is in possession of said Bitcoin, moved that Bitcoin yesterday at $60,000, they didn't sell it. They didn't move it to an exchange. They just moved it. I'm calling market manipulation in conjunction with Coinbase, Kraken, and one at least one other trading platform going down at roughly the same time. And you know who will not investigate any of that? The Securities and Exchange Commission. Gary Gensler's group of little thugs and miscreants are not going to do anything about it, even though, in my mind, that movement, if they were going to sell it, if they had, if the United States Marshal Service had announced and printed up flyers and put them in courthouses around the, around the world, you know, the United States, that there was going to be a Bitcoin auction at that time on that day, maybe I would, I could, I could see it, but they just moved it to another wallet. That's it. That's all they did. And they just happened to do it at that time. I call BS. I think it's clear market manipulation engaged in by the United States Marshal Service in conjunction with Coinbase, Kraken, and whatever other trading major trading platform went down. I think phone calls went out because the, the, the mountain climbing protection team that is just hell-bent on, on defending the United States dollar and BS fiat currencies around the world, called these guys and said, you turn off the buy button, just like they did with Robinhood. So if you think Kraken and Coinbase in this other platform and the United States Marshal Service are working in your best interest, you are wrong. They want you to remain poor because they want you to remain cattle. All right, let's move on. Marathon digital revenue surges 452% in the fourth quarter amid a banner year. Martin Young, Cointelegraph. United States Bitcoin mining giant Marathon Digital saw revenue surge in 2023 as it swung to a profit. However, company stock dipped following the release of its fourth quarterly revenue report. Marathon Digital released its uh, Q4 in annual earnings report February the 28th revealing that the firm had made a record $387.5 million in revenue in 2023, which is a 229% increase from the previous year. Quote, 2023 was a record-breaking year for Marathon, during which we achieved our primary objectives of energizing our fleet of previously purchased mining rigs and optimizing our performance, said Marathon CEO Fred Thiel. 
Fourth quarter revenue increased 452% to $156.8 million, beating analyst estimates and rising significantly from $28.4 million in Q4 of 2022. Analysts had estimated a quarterly revenue of only $148.8 million. The increase in revenue was driven by a 172% increase in Bitcoin production year over year, coupled with around double the average BTC price during that period, it stated. The firm sold 56% of the Bitcoin that it produced during the quarter to fund operating costs and adjusted EBITDA, which stands for Earnings Before Interest, Taxes, Depreciation, and Amortization, improved to $260 million in the fourth quarter 2023 from a loss of $374 million in the fourth quarter of 2022. Marathon's Bitcoin production increased 210% to a record 12,852 BTC uh, in 2023. And additionally, it energized hash rate increased 253% to 24.7 exahashes per second. That's a lot of the hash rate, guys. Quote, while 2023 was a banner year, we have never been more optimistic about Marathon's future, said Teal. Salomon Khan, Marathon's chief financial officer, added, quote, We entered 2024 with a strong balance sheet that had us well positioned for the upcoming halving and beyond. Despite the positive earnings report, the company's shares dipped 6.7% on the day in a fall to 28.95% in after-hours trading on February the 29th. Nonetheless, shares in the mining giant have surged more than 300% in the past 12 months. Meanwhile, Marathon has recently announced that it was incubating and developing a Bitcoin Layer 2 sidechain platform called Anduro on February the 28th as it branches out from its crypto mining. Be aware, I do not like Marathon. Why? Because they're OFAC compliant, or at least they tried to be, and they're going to do it again, I guarantee it. Marathon Mining, also the ticker symbol is Mara, M-A-R-A. This is a mining company that holds entirely too much Bitcoin, holds entirely too much of the hash rate, has an entirely too high of a share price for my liking, given the fact that they are not essentially Bitcoiners at all. In fact, given uh, Mr. Teal's background, I suggest that they are connected directly with the United States government and or generalized globalist institutions from around the world, like the World Bank, International Monetary Fund, Council for Foreign Relations, they're going to do everything that the IRS, OFAC, FinCEN tells them to do. They're going to, they, blo- they block wallets. They do all kinds of stuff. They won't mine certain transactions because they're from wallets that are not OFAC compliant, blah, blah, blah. It is, it's a mess. And yet they're turning out to be a golden child in the mining space. And I Really hope to see that reverse course with good miners, with good Bitcoin ethics coming alongside like Riot. Riot's pretty good. There's a couple other ones. A lot of these guys are centered in Texas. I I can't iterate enough. Please, for the love of God, stay away from Marathon. Mining pool, the Marathon mining pool you know, uh, if if they're offering like services where you can buy a mining rig and they'll put it in their rack space for you, don't do it. Just stay as far away from Marathon as you can possibly get. They are not good Bitcoiners at all. Now, Bitcoin bloodbath. And yes, we're still experiencing a little bit of it uh, right now. We've got giant candles going down to the downside. $60,927. Ain't nothing to sneeze at, ladies and gentlemen. That's That's where we're at right now. But still, just be aware. I think it has something to do with the end of February and what's called monthly portfolio rebalancing. And the guys that rebalance their portfolios away from Bitcoin are going to be some pretty pissed off people in a couple of months. Now, anyway, Bitcoin bloodbath, the price volatility leads to $640 million in liquidations. That's right. Decrypt Sandar Lutz has it. After a stunning morning for the crypto market that saw Bitcoin rocket 11% in a matter of hours before quickly plunging, many traders are no longer smiling, with Wednesday's roller coaster leading to a colossal $640 million worth of position liquidations within mere hours. 
I'm serious. Do not, do not trade this. Please, for the love of all that is holy, do not trade this stuff. In the last 12 hours alone, about $309 million worth of crypto short positions, as well as about $330 million worth of long positions, have been liquidated, according to data compiled by CoinGlass. The majority of those liquidations, about $424 million worth, have come within the last four hours alone. Overall, in the last 24 hours, about $700 million worth of crypto positions have been liquidated. Some $262 million of those came from Bitcoin alone, with shitcoin number one next up at $109 million. According to Greg Magdini, Magadini, Director of Derivatives at blockchain analytics firm Amber Data, such a high sum of liquidations in such a condensed period of time is to be expected when an asset like Bitcoin experiences as brief and extreme of a rally as it did on Wednesday. Quote, there's FOMO and things can get so euphoric that the second prices start to tick down, it creates a cascading effect. Once prices begin to fall during an impressive price sprint, he explained, the most highly leveraged traders of an asset are forced to liquidate, bringing down an asset's price. That then forces the next level of leveraged traders to liquidate, dragging prices lower, and so on, and so on, and so on. This phenomenon is commonly referred to in finance as a blow-off top, and so it snowballs all the way down. Perhaps surprisingly, Bitcoin fell only a few points before beginning to recover on Wednesday afternoon. After climbing above $63,600 just after 12 p.m. Eastern Time, the world's top cryptocurrency began shedding value, falling nearly to $60,000 within an hour. The token has since recovered slightly, uh, though, to $61,000 at time of writing. BTC is still up 7%. Okay, so... This is just a cautionary tale to remind people, especially anybody who's new out there, if you think you're going to trade this market, I think you're going to end up in a hole in the ground crying and begging people to cover you with dirt and bury you alive. This market, there's only one way to trade this market is that you buy Bitcoin either every minute, every hour, twice a day, once a day, couple of times a week or once a week, maybe once a month. I wouldn't do it once a year. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you want a daily cost average into this thing. You do not want to have anything whatsoever to do with trading against either fiat currency, buying in, cashing out, doing all that kind of stuff. And God forbid, it's even worse if you try going up against altcoins. There's too much noise. And there's people that have the ability to filter out that noise that you do not have. Please do yourself a favor. Just use daily cost averaging. Pick a day. I pick Fridays at 11 o'clock in the morning, roughly around, and I buy Bitcoin. I don't even, I don't even have to do it myself. It's on automatic. It just happens every day, 11 o'clock, or I mean every week, 11 o'clock Friday. That's how I do it. And I don't have to lose sleep at night. Now, Morgan Stanley, remember I told you about the RIA and Carson group yesterday uh, allowing four? Well, now, well, four ETFs into their portfolio. And well, now Morgan Stanley is evaluating spot Bitcoin ETFs for its giant brokerage platform. And this is Coindesk, Ian Allison and Will Canny is writing, Wall Street giant Morgan Stanley is in the midst of performing due diligence to add spot Bitcoin ETF products to its brokerage platform, according to two people with knowledge of the matter. One of the people said Morgan Stanley, which is among the largest U.S. broker-dealer platforms, has been evaluating, evaluating offering spot Bitcoin ETFs to clients since the Securities and Exchange Commission approved their introduction in January. Although billions of dollars have already been invested in these products, the investment floodgates might not open until the Bitcoin ETFs are offered by big registered investment advisors. That's the RIA, right? Registered Investment Advisor. That's Carson. That's Morgan Stanley. That's Vanguard. Those are the RIAs. Those are the gatekeepers. And many of them have not yet offered the Bitcoin ETF products to their client pool. Not yet anyway, but here we are with Morgan Stanley 
announcing that they're evaluating. There's 10 spot Bitcoin ETFs now trading in the U.S. The ones with the most assets are Grayscale's GBTC, BlackRock's IBIT, and Fidelity's FBTC. And it's not clear which ones Morgan Stanley is looking to offer to its clients. And Morgan Stanley declined to comment, and that's it, that's completely understandable. Morgan Stanley, excuse me, Morgan Stanley, a leader in the alternative investments and private market space, with one with over one hundred and fifty billion dollars in assets under management, was the first major U.S. bank to offer its wealthy clients access to Bitcoin funds in 2021. The bank confirmed during its first quarter earnings call in April of that year that it was offering its wealth management clients exposure to Bitcoin via a pair of external crypto funds. The wealth management firm's former CEO, Jonathan Prusen, said at the time that the bank was allowing qualified investors to gain access to two passive funds. It is understood that these funds were offered by Galaxy Digital and NYDIG, or NYDIG. Quote, as we see more interests, <clears throat> interest will work with regulators to provide services that we think are appropriate. Okay. So Morgan Stanley has $150 billion under assets or assets under management. That's, that's not, that doesn't matter. Not really. It's the amount of clients that they have, which I did not actually see in that particular news article. Let me just pull that up. Stan client base. Let's see if I can get something out of here. Uh, Hold on. Number 61 in the 2023 Fortune 500 list of the largest United States corporations. Uh, Who are now? It's not really going to say how many they have. But Morgan Stanley's been around for a very, 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 very long time. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you they've got more clients than you can shake a stick at. And right now, their clients, if they're only with Morgan Stanley, they don't have access to a Bitcoin ETF. If Morgan Stanley approves one or more of the Bitcoin ETFs that stand, you know, that are, that got stood up in January, well, that's another gateway that it's almost like the flood floodgates are opening kind of like slowly and one at a time. They're not opening all, all together. If they did, it would probably be a, a disaster because it, it would just be so much volatility that nobody knows what the hell's going on. So I kind of understand why Morgan Stanley is taking a longer approach, a, you know, a longer approach to get their clients to Bitcoin. But Carson, remember, Carson's doing the same. And they're nothing to sneeze at either. So expect more of this right now. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. How you doing, Coin Laughs? Coin Laughs just joined us over there in the live chat. Good to see you here, pal. All right, West Texas Intermediate is down scant, but it's at $78.48 a barrel. Brent North Sea is up almost a negligible amount to $83.69. Natural gas is down a quarter to a buck 88. Gasoline is up over a point to $2.29 a gallon. Uh, shiny metal rocks doing okay today. Uh, gold is up uh, over half a point to 2054 bucks. Silver is up 1.1%. Platinum is down 0.15%. Copper is up 0.14%. Palladium is up over 1.5 points. Uh, Biggest loser in ag today is going to be who? Oh, good Lord. Sugar is down over 4 points. Biggest winner is chocolate up 1.5 points. Live cattle trading down scant. Uh, Lean hogs up almost a full point. Feeder cattle are down a half. The Dow is down... Scant 0.05%. The S&P is up a quarter. Uh, NASDAQ is up three, uh, two-thirds of a point, And the S&P mini is up two-thirds of a point as well. So not a whole lot of movement there in legacy. Uh, bonds, all the yields are basically down except for just a couple. Uh, the U.S. 30-year bond yield got pushed down to 4.378% in case you're keeping score there. $61,380 is what we are flashing price-wise for Bitcoin on Clark Moody Dashboard. That is a, wow, 
$1.21 trillion market cap, 19,640,836.74 BTC in circulation at the time. It's 568.3 exahashes per second is the hash rate I'm getting. 0.25 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And the block space percentage for taking out the ordinal garbage is standing at 2.5%. So 2.5% of usable space is being wasted on ordinals. That's what that means, by the way. So now, mempool.space, what we got going on. 212 blocks carrying 146,000 transactions waiting to clear mempools. High priority, going to cost you... 56 Satoshis per V-byte. That's about four bucks and 81 cents. Low priority is 51. So pretty narrow range right there. Anything under 5.82 Satoshis per V-byte are going to be purged for mempools around the world. And I am seeing a hash rate flashing of 545 exahashes per second on mempool.space forward slash mining. Now from episode Behold Greatness, episode 863, which was of the Bitcoin uh, podcast yesterday, we have letter 6172 who gave me 20,000 sats and says boost for content I enjoy. Thank you, letter 6173. I appreciate that. Can confirm I saw that come through my lightning node yesterday and it also got me back into the charts. I'm sitting at number 17 I would very much like to be back in the top 10 if you guys can help me out. The only way to do that is by boosting, uh, or at least as far as I know. I think I was thinking that the streaming Satoshi is also added to that. Jury's still out for me. I haven't been able to really get a good read. I hear that both of them happen. I hear that only streaming actually uh, gets you into the charts. I've heard only boost, so I've got all three in combination. If If anybody knows exactly what fountain is doing on that please let me know hbh gardens with 3000 says nothing so thank you i appreciate that god's death with 537 says your ain't right dad jokes better than the book's joke sir and kramer doesn't have a bitcoin phone but i have a node in my phone so fuck them i agree god's death with another 537 says thank you sir no thank you al Oh, Alexis, uh, 521 says, I am a lot more concerned about the core developer issue. If it was just a case of censorship, then fine. It didn't affect Bitcoin. But now we see that a group of people acting in the shadows can censorship and merge vulnerable code without consensus and transparency. That's a huge issue and shows that a few individuals could harm Bitcoin if and when they get corrupted. The creation in this scenario is still been affected, but the current creators, when they push vulnerable code. Yeah, see, I'm, I've got a big problem with this whole, this is, we're talking about the delving Bitcoin forum uh, that I brought to you yesterday. If you don't understand what we're talking about, you can go back to yesterday's show and I'll bring it to you. Pies with a hundred says, uh, nothing. Uh, Pies with another hundred says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Coinbase adds smart wallet feature so that lengthy seed phrases aren't needed. I have a really bad feeling about this out of Coindesk, written by Margot Nizhirak. Coinbase, the publicly traded United States cryptocurrency exchange, is coming out with not one but two new wallet solutions that are supposed to make the onboarding of new users into crypto easier. The features, known as their smart contract wallet and embedded wallets, aim to overcome hurdles that often come from the clunky user experience when creating crypto wallets. I want to make sure I'm actually recording here. Okay. The smart wallet will be in addition to Coinbase Wallet SDK, a software toolkit that allows developers to create wallet instantly inside of decentralized applications with passkey, meaning no complex systems like using seed phrases or any extra steps will be needed. The wallet is built on top of Coinbase's Layer 2 network base, and it currently is in testnet. It makes use of a popular blockchain technology known as account abstraction, which gives users recovery options in the event that they lose their keys. Coinbase also said in a press release seen by Coindesk 
that they will give out credits for gas freeze fees with their account abstraction kit. Oh, great. The base team, the base is the abstraction layer. The base team shared in their blog post that one of their goals for 2024 was to make smart wallets the default. Quote, smart wallets will help solve the key challenges in security and usability that are holding back on-chain adoption today, bringing more users on-chain and letting builders offer simple onboarding and better experiences that they wrote. The embedded wallets will be powered by Wallet as a Service, or WAAS, W-A-A-S for short, the idea that companies can customize blockchain wallets for their own customers. The new features will add or will allow developers to create white-labeled embedded wallets. White-labeled. Oh, white-labeled. God, oh, joy. Allow developers to create white-labeled embedded wallets that abstract away the complexities of crypto in favor of familiar email and social login flows, Coinbase wrote in the press release. Quote, building the next generation of on-chain experiences will be critical to bringing a billion users on-chain, and we believe that evolving wallets are a critical step. All right, the reason I'm telling you about Coinbase is that this is an attack vector that they've just introduced into Bitcoin. They don't know it, but it is. As, as companies that still exist in the legacy world with legacy clown world shit going around them, and the, the fact that they're basically catering to the lowest common denominator is going to make hacking these wallets or mistakes made in the construction of these wallets all the more easier to uncover. And what happens when shit like that is uncovered in legacy media? It's all Bitcoin's fault. So thank you, Coinbase, for possibly allowing a situation to develop where Bitcoin gets a bad name. I just can't thank you enough. Yay, you did a good job, Coinbase. I just awesome work. Because as they can't even make their back end work. We saw that yesterday. They went down. They were telling people they had no money in their wallets. They were flashing zero balances that their bugs were so bad. Do you see what I'm saying here? I know that you guys that listen to me aren't going to use Coinbase. Or, and if you do, please don't use this wallet. But also, the, since you're, most people listening to me don't use Coinbase, you're not going to have to worry about this. But what you are going to have to worry about are the people who do. And then report that their shit got hacked or something broke or all the wallets go offline because Coinbase can't handle the volume of Bitcoin trading when things go north like it did yesterday. And Paul Krugman and Peter Schiff are just waiting to chew on the meat-laden bones that are laid out for them by failures at Coinbase. See, Bitcoin doesn't work. Their their wallets got hacked. Oh God, it's just, just please be aware that that is on its way. Now, Bitcoin's fair value, according to the EU Central Bank, is still at zero. Olivia Brooke is writing this one for Zai Crypto. The Central Bank of Europe is convinced that the value of Bitcoin is zero. The Central Bank made its position on Bitcoin known in a recent blog post outlining fundamental problems plaguing the Bitcoin ecosystem. According to the blog post, the EU Central Bank reckons that Bitcoin failed to keep its promise of becoming a global decentralized digital currency and has become instrumental in enabling illegitimate transfers. Despite the recent ETF approvals being regarded by market experts as a major milestone for the community, the bank insists that Bitcoin is unsuitable for investments and payments. As the blog post reads, quote, For disciples, the formal approval of ETFs confirms that Bitcoin investments are safe and the preceding rally is proof of an unstoppable triumph. We disagree with both claims and reiterate that the fair value of Bitcoin is still zero, end quote. So there's more to the article, but we don't really have to actually talk about it, do we? No, no, we really don't. Um, 
this is just going to be the messaging that we're going to have to deal with from institutions that are huge, behemoth, mammoth, absolutely just ridiculously huge, ridiculously, quote unquote, well-respected by government agencies across the world. Hold on for a second. I want to get something up. I want to put uh, Cabana Damata up on the screen here for the guys over in uh, Zap, uh, the Zap.stream live chat. Just so you know something to look at here. Okay, so um, where was that? Okay, so EU Central Bank, IMF, World Bank, uh, World Monetary Fund, or uh, no, not World Monetary, World Bank. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, Council of Foreign Relations, United States government, European government, European Council, European Union, all those guys, they're going to be saying the same thing. So be aware that's not going to stop either. And it doesn't matter if Morgan Stanley decides to give their millions of customers access to the Bitcoin ETF. These guys are never going to change their tune, which leads me to believe that they don't have the capacity to understand what is happening to them. It's almost as if, you know, a baby fawn out in the middle of the wilderness gets separated from its mother and then attacked by mountain lions and you see the look on its face as it's being torn to shreds and it's clearly still alive that it doesn't quite understand what the hell's happening to it. That's how I view the IMF, United Nations, NATO, World Bank, EU, United States federal government, you name it. I don't think these guys realize that they're being torn to shreds. They don't, the pain receptors for some reason or another are delayed in getting them to understand that they are being destroyed. And we're not even firing a shot. The best revolutions in the world are ones that you don't fire a shot and not a single drop of blood is spilled. And we're in the midst of that revolution right now. Gandhi didn't fire a shot at the British troops. He simply walked a whole bunch of people down to the shoreline in India and started making salt in front of the whole world. Now, he did that in a very beautiful way. He started basically, I guess, from, you know, the inner parts of India and basically announced that he was doing this and more and more followers. It was it was like following Jesus in a little in a little bit of a way. And they the more they walked, the more people gathered up and the more people gathered up, the more other people were looking at the spectacle coming through their villages and towns. And they wanted to go see what the hell was going on, too. And they ended up getting kind of glommed onto the whole crew. And by the time they got down to the sea to make salt, which was illegal under British rule, because they, for various reasons, they didn't want, they wanted control of the salt trade. They didn't want Indians who had been making salt by their own hands for, you know, millennia to be able to do that. They wanted them dependent upon the British government, the the British sovereignty to be able to give them their salt. And then they just basically announced to the world that they were going to say, fuck you. And they walked their happy ass right down to the coast and they started making salt. And the British could do nothing about it because by the time they got there, the whole world was watching. And I see some similarities going on here. I can't help but to see the comparison. Now, while the EU Central Bank is in the midst of being ripped apart and is still unaware that that's happening to them, Bitcoin has become the fifth largest base money in the entire world. NoBSBitcoin.com. It seems highly likely that Bitcoin will close February higher than sterling GBP, the oldest fiat currency in the world. Well, right now we're kind of sucking a little bit of swamp water. We're back to $60,983, just so you want to know. Uh, Monetary base update. The pound sterling balance at the Bank of England was 889 billion pounds sterling on the 31st of January, 2023. That's 1.12 trillion US dollars. Right now, Bitcoin's cap is at 1.16 trillion, said Matthew Mazinski uh, or Mazinskis of Porkopolis Economics on X. So I just read to you that the market cap of Bitcoin was 1.21 trillion. 
The British pound sterling as of the end of January was 1.16 trillion. If that number is still true for the great British pound sterling, then in fact, Bitcoin has surpassed the pound sterling as base money. Wow. Number five, let's wait for the monthly close. But we are about to surpass the oldest fiat currency in the world. Remarkable. Matthew Mazinskis added, <clears throat> Bitcoin is the sixth largest base money in the world, if counting gold, however. Quote, regarding the basic money supply definition itself, this typically means a central bank's cash banknotes and coins that are minted and outstanding, plus the commercial bank reserves at the central bank, explains Porkopolis Economics on its site. More on methodology and definitions can be that are used for calculating base money can be found here, and that would be at Porkopolis.io, pork as in ham, you know, pork, porkopolis.io forward slash methodology, and you can go find it there. Now on to Eclair, version 0.10.0 or 10.0, dual funding, latest Bolt 12, fully working splicing prototype. We are moving at light speed in this space. No BS Bitcoin again. This release adds official support for the dual funding feature, an up-to-date implementation of Bolt 12 offers, and a fully working splicing prototype. Quote, we're waiting on the specification work to be finalized for some of those features and other implementations to be ready for cross-compatibility tests. You should only activate them if you know what the hell you're doing and willing to take the chance. Quote, this release also contains various on-chi fee improvements, more configuration options, performance enhancements and various minor bug fixes. So let's talk about a little bit about the dual funding action of this. This release of Eclair activates dual funding and it will automatically be used with CLN lightning nodes. When opening channels to nodes that don't support dual funding, the older funding protocol will be used auto magically. One of the immediate benefits of dual funding is that the funding transaction can now be RBF'd using the RBF Open RPC. Quote, there is currently no way to automatically add funds to channels that are being opened to your node as deciding whether to do so or not really depends on each node operator's peering strategy. We have, however, created a simple plugin that node operators can fork to implement their own strategies for contributing to inbound channels. And now on to Bolt 12. Eclair supports the latest state of the Bolt 12 specification. The specification may still change at some point, so support is experimental, but you may try it using either pay offer RPC to pay a Bolt 12 offer, or number two, the tip jar plugin to generate Bolt 12 offers. And the Tip jar plugin is over at github.com forward slash async forward slash eclair plug, uh, hyphen plugins if you want to go use it. Uh, is there anything else in here? There's a lot of stuff, but I wanted to make sure that you knew that eclair has a working, a working prototype of dual funding. What is that? Okay, so I have a lightning node. I get funds streamed to me all the time. All of my channels I either opened those channels to somebody else's lightning node or somebody opened a lightning channel to my node. In a dual funding, that is a single funding operation. In dual funding, me and another person that has a lightning node can make an agreement and we can both fund a, the opening of a brand spanking new lightning channel together. When, when I open a lightning node channel to somebody else's lightning node, I have what's known as outgoing liquidity. People can use my node to send funds from that channel to that other lightning node. So I have outflow of Satoshis. When somebody opens a channel to my node, I have what's known as incoming liquidity. <clears throat> People can hit the other person's node and send sats through that channel to my node. A dual funding channel 
has both directions. This is brand new. It's experimental. Be highly careful about it, but I'm really excited about this. It's going to enhance the usability of Lightning Network in ways that are is just I mean in ways in, in ways that I don't know. You you think it'd be you think it'd be simple to say well it's just a dual funding channel I mean how much can change you have no idea you see what happened when we had Taproot and Segwit we got freaking ordinals now I'm not saying that dual funding channels is going to cause a mountain of crap to happen to us I think that the things that are going to happen are going to be quite good but they are not going to be known just yet we think they are but they're not ask me how I know. All right, last up for today, Voltage introduces a redesign, teams and pricing updates. No BS Bitcoin again. As we start 2024, we anticipate a significant increase in network participants for Bitcoin on-chain and the Lightning Network. We've made some updates to our platform to prepare for this influx, they announced in a blog post. First, we significantly updated our dashboard to streamline the experience of using Voltage. Second, we've added support for teams on the platform to allow easy collaboration. Finally, we've updated our pricing to better align with our customers. Hold on for a second. I got to get rid of something. I got to make sure I know where I'm at on my audio recording software. So, dashboard redesign. Previously, managing your node and viewing your data in Surge were separate experiences, and in this update, we've combined them into a single dashboard, so it's pretty straightforward to manage your node and see everything that's happening. Teams. With this update, you can add additional users to your team, grant them specific types of access, and allow others to view and manage your nodes. Uh, There's some other stuff here, but essentially, Voltage... Voltage kind of allows you to grab uh, rent lightning channels. And you can, I, as far as I remember, you can also allow your channels that you've opened uh, or you can open channels uh, through Voltage, but on your node and basically help provide liquidity. So it's sort of a clearinghouse of uh, lightning uh, network stuff. Uh, go go check out Voltage. Uh there's no reason not to, and we're going to need all the Lightning Network help that we can get. Thankfully, there's also eCash is coming up. And I'm, you know, I'm just gotten to the point where I'm going to go ahead and just say that I'm not going to shit on eCash. I'm pretty sure that this is above board. I'm becoming comfortable with it. It seems to work. I can send eCash directly from a from an eCash uh, infrastructure directly to Lightning infrastructure, and that alone that alone makes eCash sort of a level three or a step three or a layer three on top of the Bitcoin protocol, and we're going to need more than that. All the people that are bitching about, oh, the poor people that won't be able to have a UTXO. I'm sorry that we can't help you. We have tried and tried and tried to get people to just get a little bit of Bitcoin, enough of a UTXO representation on the blockchain that they have a substantial amount of wealth secured in those in either that one UTXO or most likely, and you're going to want them, at least several UTXOs, which brings me to a point. Some people are saying, what's the optimum size uh, amount of Satoshis to have in a single UTXO? I've heard everything from one Bitcoin all the way down to 500,000 Satoshis. I hear a lot about 1 million Satoshis, but here's what I'm getting at. Now I'm going to go away from eCash and the fact that I'm starting to like it and I'm, I'm just going to be upfront with you about it. I don't think it's a shit coin. I don't think it's a quote, like how we used to bitch about the fact that lightning network, they weren't, it wasn't really Bitcoin. It was lightning tokens. I'm, I'm kind of over, I'm actually completely over that because I'm so comfortable using lightning and the same thing is going to happen to eCash. All right. But this brings up an issue of the, the whole 
not enough UTXOs for everybody in the world to have. If you have an appreciable amount of Bitcoin in a single UTXO, let's let's say, let's just for example, let's say you have one full Bitcoin in one single UTXO. If we go by the sentence, there's not enough UTXOs in the world to service all of the people, are you A, ethically obligated to keep your one Bitcoin in that single UTXO, or would you be violating ethics and morals by splitting that one Bitcoin into 10, 10 million Satoshi UTXOs? Because there's 100 million Satoshis. I just, I got distracted by Kid Warp. Technically, eCash is an older protocol. You're right. It is an older protocol. It's, but it's, that's not going to matter, Kid Warp. Nobody sees that. And that doesn't mean you're wrong. You're absolutely right. Ecash has been around forever, but its implementation on the Bitcoin network has actually come later than Lightning, and that's all anybody's ever going to notice. But getting back to this, and Kidwarp, I want I want your feedback. If you're you're still here, you're still listening. With again, the, I'll ask the question again. If I have one Bitcoin in a single UTXO, and the following statement is correct. There's not going to be enough UTXOs for everybody on the face of the planet to have their own UTXO and therefore be financially sovereign. Then, am I morally obligated to A, keep that one Bitcoin in that single UTXO, or am I morally bereft or ethically bereft because I choose to want more UTXOs so that I, because I don't, if it's the if it's the case that the UTXO itself is a scarce commodity, like the Bitcoin token is a scarce commodity, then don't we have two different kinds of commodity represented at the same time on the Bitcoin layer one network? So am I morally and ethically bereft because I split my 100 million Satoshis into 10, 10 million Satoshi UTXOs? Or... If it is the case that a 1 million Satoshi UTXO is a good size, we won't call it optimal. We'll call it a good size. What if I split it into 100 1 million Satoshi UTXOs? If, again, I'm going to reiterate, we have a 21 million Bitcoin cap on the amount of tokens that can ever exist on the Bitcoin network. No more will ever be created. That's consensus rule. But we're finding out as we do projections into the future and we compare the world's population and how much the network can take and how much the network can process. And given what we've seen so far over the last 15 years, it is becoming evident, not directly to me, because I'm not the one that's coming up with this. I am listening to other people in the space. And so many of them have said the same thing, that there's not going to be enough UTXOs for the world's population to flourish and thrive and be self-sovereign. What am I to do? If I have more than one UTXO at this time, which I do, Am I morally obligated to collapse all of those into a single UTXO to make room for the world's population to have more UTXOs available? Beyond all this, so those are the basic questions, but here's the secondary question, which we've already asked, but I want to reiterate again. Are UTXOs now representative of actual money? And I'm not talking about the tokens the Satoshis held within the UTXO, just the fact that I have one and I can trade that UTXO, not the tokens inside. The tokens will come along for the ride clearly. But is there now a monetary value on just having a UTXO, no matter what's in it, <clears throat> which is a little stupid. That's I think that that's the pressure release valve is, well, if it's a one Satoshi UTXO, Nobody gives a shit. Nobody really cares. Which brings us to another question. How much dust UTXOs are out there? Millions. I guarantee it. How? 
can is there going to be a sweeping event like uh like maybe it ends up being like bitcoin pizza day or let's count all the bitcoin on the bitcoin network day right Uh, the proof of keys day is what what I'm referring to. Is there going to be a sweep, like a a dust cleaning day where we collapse bullshit UTXOs into one UTXO so that UTXO space can be freed up for the world's population? What am I responsible to do? What am I responsible for? Am I responsible for all the future generations of the planet? There's a very good argument that I am. There's also a very good argument that it doesn't matter if I am. There's no way that I can help. I don't know. Kid Warp has written back with something. Let's find out. About 10 years ago, I split a whole coin into bit dimes and bit nickels. Sorry for making so much dust. No, I don't think you did. I don't think you did. But this presents an issue, does it not? What if people figure this out and they start going, holy shit. And you got somebody, you got some whale out there with a hundred Bitcoin sitting in a single UTXO and they decide to split it into a hundred UTXOs or a thousand UTXOs or 10,000 UTXOs, which would still be a credible amount of Satoshis in every single one of those UTXOs. Will the UTXO itself, just having one, be of monetary value that is on top of or ancillary to the Satoshis that reside within that UTXO? I think that these are interesting questions. And here's my prediction. UTXOs are going to have value all by themselves. As to how much, there's no way to know. I'm not even going to broach that one. But I think that we are dealing now with Bitcoin's layer one as a two- headed hydra which is a seven-headed beast i know but just bear with me and one is the amount of satoshis and two is the amount of utxs we'll let you chew on that for a little while and you know what if we're running long it's 67 minutes into the show so i'm just going to cut it here i cannot stomach doing another dad joke from that particular uh that particular book so I'll, let me find one Bear with me and I'll find one. Dad says jokes. Dad says, dad says jokes. This is where I used to get them from, uh, uh, from Twitter. Let's see if I got one. Dad says jokes over there on, on the tweet bird, dead bird app. And it's coming up now. Your fingers have fingertips, but your toes don't have toe tips. Yet you can tip toe, but not tip finger. Honestly, I'm going to leave it right there, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.